Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, abilities? What the fuck, sticks? What the fuck, adelics? What the fucking ucks? What the fuck, Ricans? What the fuck, Adelphians? What the fuck, burgers? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Alec Sulkin is on the show today. Alec Sulkin, the comedy writer. Uh, many of you know his work from the Family Guy. He's a big Family Guy writer. He also wrote the. Uh, the film Ted with Seth MacFarlane, and also he wrote A Million Ways to Die in the West. Funny guy, but it's interesting about Alex Sulkin is I don't really know him. I had not really met him, but he has a very consistent Twitter feed, the Sulk on Twitter. And I, I'm odd in the way that, you know, I saw his picture on Twitter and I'd read his tweets and I built the whole personality for this guy. I figured like, I got a sense of this guy. I know this guy. He's a joke writer, but I just, I look at the picture. I don't know how many of you do that or how many of you have this, uh, fantastic ability i think i'm a latent control freak right under the chaos but i you know i want to you know i sort of want to box people i want to box people in there how 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 easy is it to box someone into an avatar pick they're already in a box and then to just assume that what they're writing and what pictures they have there or who their friends are it's like you can completely in your mind encapsulate a human being and this was a guy i'm like this guy's got some uh chutzpah this guy's got some funny in him this guy's interesting he's dark i relate to him i believe he's a kindred spirit to me that's what i thought when i started reading his twitter feed i knew he had dated sarah silverman i'd heard about him but nothing pieces bits and pieces so finally you know we got it together and i had him on the show i had a great conversation with the guy he's written some funny shit i recently saw that movie ted and i I didn't go see it in the movies because i didn't think i'd like it but it's funny man and some people love Family Guy. I'm not a freak for it, but I enjoy it when I watch it. He's a funny guy, and uh, we do have stuff in common, and I did, I did have a great talk with him. So uh, Alex Sulkin, coming at you shortly. Here's what I'm learning by reading this book that I'm reading by uh, Firestone, The Fantasy Bond. It's a clinical psychology book. Here's the deal, okay? It's very interesting to me that I have found my way in this world and that the vehicle has been this podcast because I'm a guy that a lot of people have called selfish or self-involved or, uh, you know, or, or insensitive or navel gazing, whatever the fuck it is. There's some part of my personality that really rubs people the wrong way. It's very defined. What I'm saying is, is that I've been known to be difficult, intense, uh, complicated, neurotic, angry, whatever, sad, who knows? 
but defined, definitely defined. So counterintuitive to that is that, that I found myself being known to be an interviewer of people. I'm an interviewer of people. And I don't ever think of it as interviews. I think of these as talks, as conversations. So it's very interesting to me that on one side, you've got this sad, angry, selfish, neurotic, navel-gazing, pensive, pseudo-intellectual, loudmouth that uh, has a defined personality, yet I'm known to, to, to surrender, obviously, some of that in order to talk to people. It's a, I, I find it interesting about me, and I'm not blowing smoke up my own ass. I think I'm being overly critical, to be quite honest with you. There are two sides to me. I've just been recently thinking about why, why does it work? Why does it work like that? What is it with me? So I'm reading this book, The Fantasy Bond, by this guy Firestone. Now, the premise is, and I sort of put it through to you a couple times before, is that if you have parents that are giving you mixed messages emotionally because they're trying to act like parents, as a young child, as young as two, you're absorbing that. How this woman, this man, these parents are telling me they love me, but they act like they don't know how to do that. They act like they're just saying that because they feel bad for not being able to. They act like that because they feel like they have to, because the feelings that are coming through underneath that statement are not love. They're confusing. I'm confused, two-year-old Mark. I'm confused. So what happens is you internalize the feelings of weirdness that come from honestly reading your parents' emotions, you think, well, these are good parents. My parents are good parents. So why the weird feelings? I don't know. That must be me. That must be me. I'm fucked up. I don't feel good. I don't like myself. I, uh, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable. I'm paralyzed with anxiety. I'm going to die. I got no cap on my personality. And that's what you bring with you for the rest of your life. You have fantasy bond. The fantasy bond is essentially... You project a fantasy, whatever that is, that you think will comfort you, and then it doesn't. You're incapable of being comforted because you live in a world of poor self-parenting. Whatever you've had to do, you've had to survive on your own whims and parent yourself with the shoddy tools you have because it can't be your parents' fault that you're like you are when you're that young. They're good parents. You're just fucked up. So what do you do to make yourself comfortable? You eat. You do drugs. You jerk off. You do, uh, you know, whatever it is to soothe yourself. How do I self-parent? I'll tell you, this is the problem. How about some caffeine? How about some nicotine? How about Twitter for two hours? What can I stuff into my face and feel bad about? Maybe I'll masturbate today and nap. How about some actual sex with an actual person? Well, lucky I have one. She's not in this state, but we'll work it out. How about some music? How about, how do I, I need an IV. I need a song. Give me something. You know what a great song does? A great song will jerk off your brain slowly until you finish how do i get those juices going what do i gotta do because sitting with me i just feel that weird squirrely discomfort oh god i i'm a newborn in a 50 year old body where's my mommy she's not helping So that's what I'm left with. I'm left with this weirdly kind of like uncomfortable core self that has struggled for 50 years to take care of itself relatively badly. The the point I'm trying to make is that just over the over the chasm and and sadly, the chasm that I'm talking about is is I can step over it into a life of, of freedom 
and self-acceptance. I can, I can feel it. I just need to step over this chasm. I don't know why. I don't think I can just step over it. It's literally not even a foot wide. Because I'm afraid. What's that guy look like on the other side of the chasm? Don't know. I've gotten rid of some stuff, but I mix it up. I had 15 years sober on August 9th. Thank you. 15 years sober. And now I'm getting back into sober thinking. So here's the point. I have to temper out. I have to temper some of this shit. I have to get rid of this caffeine for a little while. I got to get rid of this nicotine lozenge bullshit. I got to temper the Twitter. I got to eat a regular food regimen. I got to exercise a little bit. You know, I got to pull away from my dick. I got to really focus on, on the healthy elements of a relationship. I got to get to fucking, I got to get back to the baseline. I got to get to ground zero of Marin to see how that fucking exists in the world. All right. I'm probably going to eat another bowl of puffins and I might masturbate and I will get on Twitter later. Hey, I'll kick tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Right. So the point I was making about the two sides of me, the side of me that does this monologue right now and the side of me that will talk to Alex Sulkin pretty soon is it completely honors the nature of who I am. What you're hearing in the first 10 or 15 minutes is the struggle for me to take care of myself and not be uncomfortable in the world. And what you're hearing in the second part of the show when I talk to somebody else is me completely bonding with that person as if they have all the answers. I just want to connect. I just want to I just want to connect emotionally and feel like I am soothed and excited by the life of somebody else. I want to feel their life because it makes me feel safe and happy. I guess that's interviewing. Let's talk to Alex. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts sulking so you got a bad car bad car and there's nothing you can do about it no it's just sitting in the garage now and I, I it's like i don't know what to do when things don't start because i think i let my AAA lapse you did yeah i just i'm never you know i get things in the mail and yeah. they fall through the cracks so i don't know who to call so i just called uber do you, <laughs> to fix the car? <laughs> just yeah. Could you just come over? I'll ride with you, but take a look take at this. Take a look job. at it. But are you one of those people that like? Are you that way with everything? I don't know what the fuck to do with anything. No, I, I yeah, I have no. I don't have a a green thumb or a right. a fix it body or anything. Well, what's your house look like? Did someone decorate it for you? 
well, I live with my girlfriend. That and see, so she takes care of everything. I know, but without that, you'd I be know. living out of boxes. I know, right? I'd fall apart. My it, teeth would be falling out of my head. It's true, I, right? I, yeah, I what? wouldn't. What's wrong with us? We're Jewish. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. But some Jews seem to manage. We're ter- we're a certain type of Jew. Those are like the Orthodox walk no, and fast no, Jews. Like what about the accountant Jews and the people that have lives and they they I, I just I don't know where this breed of Jew that just entered the world with a lot of anger and creativity, right. completely incapable of doing regular things. I know. Well, did you do you have a good relationship with your mother? Because <laughs> oh, I do. You do. Yeah. You she, was very, the- she was very. She was. She spoiled me. Oh, so I, I I didn't get that. I'm not sure what what the relationship is. It, I mean, I was spoiled, but yeah. I, I I didn't feel like uh, I didn't think it, feel like it was about me necessarily. Okay, now it was always about me, so I never had to do anything. So you've and got then that here one. I am. Yeah, you, you've got the one that was there, very yeah. supportive. You could do no wrong. Right. So I moved, when I moved into college, she was there. You know, unpacking living all with you, my, unpacking all my stuff. <laughs> My roommate arrived and I was napping on my bed and she told him to be quiet. <laughs> Always a good start to a roommate relationship. Right. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, you have no, uh, so uh, the women must be just a difficult. <laughs> yeah, they are. They, they, they don't, they, yeah. you know, they don't, uh, uh, there's always something wrong. As right. You know. But not yeah. with us, right? No, it's them. <laughs> What's wrong with them? What do they want already? Enough. I tell I it's weird the reason that I asked you to come on was I think I had this uh, adverse relationship with your Twitter feed for a couple of years. Really? Yeah, well I had this relationship like okay, that's him, that's his picture. Like, I never did any research on sure. him. Sure. He was just uh, the sulk. Yeah. Alex Sulkin, that's his face with a mm-hmm. mustache. Sure. These are his jokes, they're good jokes. And at some point I decided that guy doesn't like me. That guy, you know, he's <laughs> You know, he's just this angry Jew comedy guy doing this thing. He's not even a real person. He's this one-dimensional, judgmental thing sitting in his house better than other people. Well, you're, I mean, you're right in that that's what the way I think about other people as well. (laughs) So I I respect your right to feel that way about me. But yeah, no, and I do feel that way about most people. Okay, so I wasn't off. No, you're mostly right there. It's just you were not ever a target of that Uh, derision. No. And then there was one thing you wrote that like I can't get out of my head on on most days. It was like one thing out of the whatever hundreds that you write. Uh, What was it? I have a bad case of dad dick today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's awful. Just terrible. Just the couple of times that you saw it in the hallway or right, something right. and then to to see it again on yourself well, it's, is like, the worst. it's terrifying i mean we all deal with age in a certain way but there's a like oh my dick is old yeah guy's been through a lot i know and it's just not <laughs> i put him through a lot other people put him through i know a lot. i know and it's just not looking good today <laughs> in, in any way and it doesn't have it's not a hundred percent the dick it's also the surrounding environs oh you yeah know? yeah like sure the, the paunch it's the, a, uh, yeah the paunch the, the hair, hair yeah yeah i'm everything. not gray down there yet but I, it's a matter of time it's yeah that seems to be the last thing to get gray like, yeah your hair's a little gray your beard mm-hmm. seems to be holding up already but like when you get the gray down there it's gonna be like oh boy. yeah yeah no well, everything needs help now but then you How know how you I'm 41. Oh, okay. So you're not that old. So, well, but we talked to our bald friends and they're like, you're Shut so up. lucky. Yeah. 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 Quick complaint. I know. I yeah. Know. Mine's holding up. Yeah, all right. me too. So where'd you come from? Boston. Oh, really? Yeah. Like in Boston, like Newton. Uh, yeah. Weston next to Newton. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's where you grew up. Yes. I, I went to school there. Where'd you go? 
Boston University. Oh, nice. Hey, the Terriers. Yeah, the te- I know nothing about sports. Yeah, well, they, you're wearing a Patriots hoodie. I am. Yeah. It's important to you. I do. I like sports. My mom, again, huge sports fan. So, Wait, do, do you have a father? I do. <laughs> I do. Does your mom like him? Do you like him? Do you- uh, yeah, I'm. I'm getting to a place where I'm good with him. Yeah. Uh, they're divorced. Yeah. So my mom doesn't like him. But yeah. I mean, they they're all right now. When did that happen? When I was five. Oh. So that you're you're understanding a lot more now. So you have a chip on your shoulder. I do. Yeah. Um, Fuck that guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, but now he feels like he's entitled to a lot in my life. You know, really he needs is, money, huh? Well, it's actually not even that. I wish it was that. Yeah. Like, cause then it would be simple. You know, write check, send check. Yeah. Get phone call. Thank you. You would do that. I would. Huh. But it's more like time uh-huh you know so he said that he did this thing uh just recently he said i i want to come down there for the weekend he came down from wednesday to tuesday that was his weekend even <laughs> my he, even my girlfriend was like tearing her hair he, out. is he retired uh from what but yes <laughs> he's a, <laughs> yeah. a drifter dad yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> you got that one All right he, he left and who knows what he's doing All right he's re- he is retired um but to say what he had retired from is kind of a mystery. So it's weird to me, like, uh, the, like I guess we'll do, uh, I, I don't mind a Jewish theme. I invite sure. a Jewish theme, generally. But when I was in Boston, the, the Boston Jewish thing is different than other Jewish things. It is. Like they have, uh, I don't know if you know this, I'd, I'd like to get, I'd like to have it substantiated, but there are several different types of rye bread in Boston. I don't know, I don't know if hmm. you know this, there's uh, there's sisal rye, there's light rye, there's dark rye, and there's pumpernickel rye. Now, I don't know what delis you went to as a child or if you went I went to, to a couple. Did you go, you went to the B&H probably? I wasn't the... paying attention. I mean, I went to uh, one called called Provisors, which was in uh, uh, Newton, Wobbin. Oh, Wobbin. Yeah. That's very Jewish. Yeah. I uh, I was in love with a girl from Wobbin for one summer, and mm. I don't know what happened to her. I met her at the Grand Canyon. We made out. Nice. And then I went to Wobbin uh, when I was in high school visiting- With uh, high hopes. With high hopes, yeah. and I met her parents, and I think we made out, and that was it. Julie Janower, if you're out there- <laughs> It's now do Julie- Do you remember? No, it's now Julie Miller. That's right. Ju- Julie <laughs> Janower Miller. She's got three kids. <laughs> right. Has no recollection of what I'm talking about. So, were you guys religious? Uh, not really, no. Definitely uh, the least religious, what is it, reform? Oh, you were reform? Yeah, I guess. Like the organ in the synagogue? Was right. It? Oh, yeah? Yeah, and just going to temple like with eyes rolled like two or three times a year. Right. Um, and you have brothers and sisters? I have an older sister. Sister. Yeah. Surrounded by women. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was she, what does she end up doing? Normal things? Yes. She is a professor at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. Do, uh, of what? Of international relations. Wow. Yeah, she's smart. Smarter than I am, much. But do you ever go there in your brain like that? Would, would that have been the thing? I don't teach. Anything. No. No, I don't think I could have. I, I was never, um, I don't think I ever got good enough grades to teach. So you're not a wizard kid? No. Yeah? Not at all. How'd you end up in fucking show business? So you grow up, your dad leaves when you're five. Yeah. And what, you, you visit him? I do. I do. He lives uh, up north of Seattle now. But when you were a kid, did you visit him? Or I was did. It contentious. I did. It wasn't actually. It wasn't for a while. Like it took me a while to realize that I was angry at him. Like till my late twenties, even. Really? Yeah. I was fine with him for a while because I think 
I always acknowledged that it was better that he was not there. You yeah. know, knowing him and knowing my mom, I just couldn't picture being raised by the two of them. Why? What was he like? Well, he's just, he's quick to anger, but not, you know, the Jewish anger, not like real anger where you're going to get whooped or anything. It's just not, emotionally abused. Yeah. Just like <laughs> his dad was kind of an asshole. Yeah. And so then he was, I think he tried his best, you know, and then, but he, I'm also totally impatient. He's completely impatient. I think he didn't have a lot of patience for marriage and me being like five, you know? I think think when I became a person, he was more into me. You know, I became like someone with a personality. Yeah, and you don't know what he did? No, I I do. I mean, he went from thing to thing. For a while, he was a travel agent, which of course nobody is anymore. No, it's a tough racket. Right, yeah. I'm Uh, a travel agent now. Right, yeah. (laughs) Then then there was phone booth repair. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But he was a travel agent, and then he was a travel agent for like a big company. Uh Um, Oh, like single client? Right. Right, right. In-house. In-house travel agent. Yeah. And then... uh, it starts to get hazy. Uh-huh. I mean, he was he did that for a while before that. He really wanted to. He owned and ran a nightclub in London when when he, after he got divorced from my mom. I love those stories. Like the yeah. random sort of like that was his midlife crisis. That was what he wanted to do. Run a nightclub in London. And cuz his dad was a big big into jazz and so he wanted to do that and he did that for about 5 years and really? then, as all clubs do it kind of went under. He, he but he booked jazz? He did. Were you brought up with jazz? I was, but I mean, you know, I, I was brought up with, he, they're big into swing band, oh, swing yeah, band, yeah, yeah, so like, not like Coltrane. Yeah, and, like Dorsey and uh, yeah, Stan Goodman Kenton and, and yeah. stuff like that. So that stuff I know a little bit, but the the real jazz that people are like way into that's cool, like yeah, yeah. I don't know. The type that requires patience. Right, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I like the ones you can snap your fingers to and <laughs> no, tap no. your feet. Not the kind that makes you slightly anxious, but you feel like there's something happening. It might get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, so, well, okay, so the anger thing. Mm-hmm. See, like, this is all relevant to me. Sure. Yeah, but you got a handle on it? Well, no. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes... I don't know. I mean, I fly off the handle a lot. I get angry at my girlfriend, you know. Yeah. She's pretty much bears the brunt of it now, unfortunately. How long have you been her. together? Uh, a little over two years. You think it's going to hold up? I think so. So, okay, so he, okay, so you go, you're visiting your dad, mm-hmm. but so he's a short-tempered guy. N- not anymore, but he was when I was growing up. Right. He's, he's, he, age has dulled him. Isn't that the gift? Yeah. And also the curse? I know. It's like right when you're sort of like, you know, I think I'm ready to, to take him to task. It's yeah. like he's, you know, he's having a hard time with now, his shoes. Yeah, now, yeah, now, right. <laughs> yeah, now everyone meets him and goes, that guy? Yeah, come what on. What a sweetheart. <laughs> uh, all you your, no idea. All your friends for years have I been know. telling about I the monster. Dad. Yeah, he's so funny. I know. Oh, if only they knew. I know. Did you ever unload on him? Um, A, a couple of times, yeah, I did. Um, And... To his credit, you know, he kind of took it and just tried to yeah. process it yeah. in, in the way that he could. How and old were you? Was it like a couple of weeks ago when, <laughs> right. he, when he was here? Coming off of it. No, it was um, probably like less than about two years ago. I I felt a mixture of bad afterwards, but also like, you know, that was that was 50 years coming. Right. I'm entitled to yell at an old broken man. Right, right. <laughs> you know, at the top of my lungs for an hour. Ugh. It was it was gloriously inappropriate, right? So, so what? Okay, so you grew up in uh, Weston, right? What you're the funny kid in school? Yes, yeah. The disruptive, yep. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know. I was like best friends with the bully. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, diplomatic. Good, great place to be. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm cool with him. Right. And then you had to be the, the, you had to navigate between the bully and your other friends or the, right. you, you had to be the diplomat in that? Well, sometimes, but often I would just watch the bully just like push their backpacks as hard as he could and just laugh. <laughs> yeah, so you were that guy. Right. You were the, the good German. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I definitely would have been. Yeah. yeah. Path of least yeah, resistance. Those Jews. Yeah, I don't know some of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess you didn't have many friends because at least everyone hates the bully, but that guy, <laughs> right, is loathed. <laughs> That's the worst guy. Yeah, but I was protected. Yeah, yeah, that was elementary school. I think in high school I was able to kind of make more friends, kind of cross between groups. And when did that. the when the when did the comedy like when did the in, in incentive to? I mean, you're involved with well, Family Guy is like a huge institution, right? But it didn't. I mean, it didn't start there. No, no. Um, uh, you know, I, um, it was always something in high school, even then I would just I'd write, you know, irreverent stuff for the school paper. You did and do that. get kind of yelled at. That you're kinda, you're that like the, thing. the Krasner of the... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But way, yeah, just not fully formed. It was always stuff about like 10 people the librarian looks like, you know, oh, and oh, then right. getting yelled Jokes. at. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they'd publish it and they'd right. be like, I don't know, this is pretty hot stuff. Right, right. And I'd be like, do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, man, but we're not going <laughs> to take the hit. You don't have to. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was literally smacked uh, across the head by our principal one time for, uh -huh. for that thing about the librarian. He hit you. He hit me. Not it wasn't like a smack in the face, but it was a smack upside the head, like one of those of parental sort of like not right. punishing smacks. Like but what were you thinking? Kind of. I thing. got hit by a math teacher. I, I'm I'm surprised that we share that story because it was wrong. Yeah, they're not, they're not allowed to do. They're that. They're not supposed to. I mean, this guy, I just, it was out of disrespect. Like he pointed mm. his finger at me and said something, and I pointed at him. He was an old military guy. He yeah. just popped me. He just popped me with the back of his hand. Yeah. That's not right. I know. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's like it's a victory. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, right. That's yeah, you those, broke him. Yeah, it's one of those yeah. lessons in disrespect. It's like, that's right. I can get through. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know you anything, old that's man. That's right. I'm going to start looking at it that I way. I think that part of like part of uh, having a comedic personality is knowing that you can push authoritative buttons. Yeah, you definitely. Can, it's like the greatest thing in the world. Like, right afterwards, you feel like stunned, but then you're like, ah. Right, like, I can win this. Yes, I won't have any friends or money. <laughs> right, <I> <laughs> right, yeah. But, but I but, got him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, high school irreverent stuff. Then college did nothing. Like no studying, just smoke pot with friends. Where'd you go? Uh, Connecticut College. What is that college? It's it used to be Connecticut College for women. Oh yeah, and now is that what drove you there? Yes, no, it's true. Visiting there, it was like insane. Really? So the school was sixty five thirty five women, yeah. and our class was seventy five twenty five women. Yeah. So it was just like women fighting over you. Oh my god. So it was kind of a terrible, great lesson. So There's a, a full buffet of of women to practice your specific form of malcontent on exactly right to target the ones who are right. most susceptible to, <laughs> to that thing to your 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 right. selfish jewish hostility that's right that's right <laughs> yeah yeah um in the yearbook it says made the most girls cry right. <laughs> that's right so yeah and i found that that was usually either other jewish girls or asian girls who were quiet and would say nothing uh-huh so um she so dated jews good for you yeah hmm mm-hmm did you end up, is your girlfriend Jewish? She is. You stayed in. I did stay in. Huh. I know. I know. I, that's, I, well, that's the one thing that you got from your mother. The, you just True. You yeah, no, she's very excited about that. No, they're always excited about totally it. Totally excited. I could never, my first wife was Jewish, but that, I think that was it, really. 
Yeah. And then I, I, I was, I actually was, I think I had a, a policy against them for a while. How long were you married? I was with her. I was married for three and a half years. I was with her for like eight years. Okay. There was some part of the the Jewish middle class thing that I found, uh, I, and obviously I'm self hating in that, but I'm just sort of like it's so predictable. Yeah. It's like it's like a language of its own. I have to I have to transcend the language. And did you guys break up because you were fighting? I broke up because it, like I do a horrible joke about it. Um, <laughs> uh, my first marriage was a disaster. I made a mistake. Uh, I married a Jew. I just let it sit there and I go, I'm a Jew. I just found that if you're a Jew and you marry a Jew, that, mean, that means everything you hated about going home is now in your house. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's it's awesome. It's horrible. <laughs> like it only can hurt her. <coughs> right. And, you know, and every yeah. Jew like has to think, like they, Jewish couples have to sit there and go I like- know, look at each other. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. It's, but, but, that, but see, I also sometimes say that, well, that's also what makes people do it anyway, that familiarity. Yeah. But you become a, you become a, a, an exaggeration of yourself, you know, very quickly when you when you're with a Jew. You, mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're speaking in that shorthand of like what? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, go to the place that has the thing. I know the, the one you like. Where, totally where, true. Where's that? Where do they do the eggs like that? Okay, we'll go. Ugh, every night. Yeah. Right, it's, and you're like, how how is this happening? I know. Uh, it, it, you know, it's and in some ways, you know, as you say, it's familiar, but in other ways, it it just the repetition of the the same. Yeah. things you know i i tweeted once uh, oh hey are you single no i'm i'm in an endless discussion about where to eat dinner like which is just what it is every every time it's like what do we what do you want i don't know what do you want what do you what are you craving what do you want it's just like every night and it's then you the end same up going thing. to the place with, which is okay it's right never, it's never been great but well, it's good enough and we we when we order in, we act like there are a thousand places. Like, what do you want tonight yeah. out of every restaurant yeah. in L.A.? It's yeah. like we order from one and a half places ever. And you, but you still talk for a half hour. Right. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, but see, the weird thing is I'm so attached to certain elements of, of being Jewish. Like, you know, I do like a good deli. Sure. I do. I do. I used to really romanticize and be fascinated with old Jews. I used to work in a deli when I was in college that's no longer there. It was in West Roxbury called Gordon's Deli okay. at Potterham Circle. I don't, oh, I, don't, you know, I know Potterham. Yeah. It, sure. It, you know, there's a, and, and there used to be in that little mall right there where the Chinese place was. Yeah, I eat at that Chinese place. Right. Yeah. Next to it used to be Gordon's Deli. Okay. And it was just like, I never knew. That's where I learned all about, you know, Boston Jews. Right. And I, that's where I learned that Jews could have jobs that were not necessarily that great. Right, right. Because <laughs> they were all there right. congregating. Yeah, but yeah, because yeah. You're like, you remember the first time you're like a Jewish plumber. Right. How, how does that happen? <laughs> right. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what went wrong? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, so I have a real affinity for, for certain elements of the Jewish thing, but I guess I just couldn't see my, I guess it's that old Woody Allen joke. He's, you know, where he's paraphrasing Groucho Marx. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same thing, man. But you're in it. Yep. So, okay, so you go to college, you smoke pot, you yep. learn how to use your dick. Right. And then what happens? Then, uh, so my senior year in college, a great thing happened where I was able to get an internship at Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? Yes. Um, so I, my senior year uh, just scheduled, made my schedule, so I had classes Monday through Wednesday, and then Thursday through Sunday I would go down to New York on the train, you know, it was not far from Connecticut College, and just go and stay in New York and work, be an intern at Saturday What's, Night Live. What season was that? Who was that the was the Saturday Night Dead season, the last season with, like, Mike Myers and David Spade. It was, like, 1994 or 5, 
And so the New York Magazine article that came out said Saturday Night is dead and everyone freaked out. And then after that, I turned that, I became a writer's assistant the next year, which was the changeover to like Will Ferrell and Daryl Hammond and Sherry O'Terry. But, okay, but so what, how, like what compelled you? I mean, at that, so you're in college. So I'm in college uh, and during the summers, I would go into New York City and work for my uncle who worked at a sports marketing company. Uh-huh. So... That was basically like putting together events for like, you know, their clients would be like Schick Razors and yeah. they'd put a, together events for the NBA where it'd be like the Schick Super Hoops shoot around, you know, where they'd set up a parking Publicity lot. house. Right. Yeah. So I worked there for a couple of summers and one of the guys who worked there, one of the executives who worked for my uncle used to be an executive at NBC and he said, you know, I was getting towards the end of college. What did you want to do? I said, well, I want to get into comedy, maybe writing, whatever. He knew this woman named Evie Murray. Yeah. Who was like a, one of the Lornettes, uh-huh. you know, kind uh-huh. of in that blonde, Lorne, like dead-eyed yeah. woman crowd. Uh-huh. And so he got my r- resume or whatever the hell it was, application at that time, to like be an intern at SNL and I guess he got it put like on the top of the pile somehow. Uh-huh. So sure enough, I got it and it was awesome. You know, it was so exciting. It was still the most exciting job I've ever had by so far. you like 18 or 19? Yeah. Running yeah. around the halls there. Like, to, What was your job? It was like getting people's food and like distributing, uh, you know, script changes and, and running videotapes here and there. And it was, it was great. It was awesome. And so you got to interact with the cast and... Totally. And, you know, some were nice, some were assholes. And, like, you know, it was was a great experience. Like, what was the first asshole moment? Um, Well, it's funny. Most of the cast people were really nice. Yeah. Like, I don't remember any of them particularly... You know, some of them may never have talked or looked at me. Right. Um, But, like, the... What this guy and it's I feel bad now because he's like kind of still a big to do in the world, but like he's a fucking asshole. And I'm just gonna say it on the thing. Uh, this guy Steve Higgins. I don't know. Uh, yeah, if you I know, know Higgins. Him. Yeah, he he produces Fallon Show. Right. He was a head writer there. He was a head writer there when I was a writer's assistant. He was just a dick to me. He was yeah. an asshole. Yeah. And like I always felt like watching the writers there in the room like that was when they had like adam mckay and different people there and he's fucking inspired and hilarious and i just always thought that like higgins was just a dick like i mean i never i get it he had to like wrangle a lot of writers and do a lot of shit so maybe he didn't have time to do his own thing but i'm to my mind like his job was like to be a dick to me and and, like in, in retrospect i realized that I also was not like a great employee. Right. Like I was not, I've seen enough people now come through as, as interns and writer's assistants and seen the kind of people who you're like, this guy's on it. He's awesome. I wasn't, I was smoking pot. I was there to have fun. Like I loved it there. I yeah. loved the scene. I love being a part of it. Right. So I realize also that like, I'm, uh, I'm, a little culpable in that sure. thing. So he, yeah. maybe he saw that and was like, I'm going to be a dick to this guy. What I think is funny though, is ultimately like when you do find some success for yourself and you look back and you know you decide like well what t- what type of grown up am i going to be you know like um and it's 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 weird that there are certain grudges or certain things that you know you know diplomatically and professionally it's sort of like hey, everybody's okay you know we a different time and all that right. but there's some things where you're like nah that nah. fucking guy was an <laughs> asshole yeah 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 right yeah, it's dude. true 
And then, like, you, you know that maybe if he hears this, he's going to call you, and you're going to be like, oh, I don't understand. <laughs> would that happen? I don't, I doubt that he would call me, no. And it's funny, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm friendly with a lot of people that he's in the same world with, right. you know, but, uh, yeah, he was always a guy that just rubbed me the wrong way. He was there that, me- that when I had that meeting with Warren that I talk about obsessively on this show with anybody who's been involved with SNL. Yeah. You know, and I've seen Higgins since, because, you know, I've done Fallon, I've seen him around. Right. And, uh, but you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know how all that, it's very hard for me to figure out and I'm still learning about the politics of of how this shit works. Because even like, I don't know if I've talked to somebody specifically about the process of writing, because obviously you ended up on your feet and you locked in with Seth and you guys did what you did. But, but you know, this weird way in, like, you know, this is some guy knew a guy who knew the girl that did the thing. Yeah. And then you're in there. Yes. And then, totally. Yeah, and then there's a. Did, were you at that point absorbing the politics of the situation? Because there's nothing more heavily political in terms of jockeying for material, aligning, building relationships with performers, and all that shit is SNL. It's like the, that's the school of how to. Absolutely, and I, I think that I, I obviously saw a lot of it. It was happening right in front of me, literally. But I was so out of that fray. Like I didn't have to worry about that. And part you weren't of it. writing, right? I wasn't writing. Um, I was just there, you know, enjoying myself. And so I kind of stayed out of that, you know, part of it. Right. Then I was fired from, from being a writer's assistant and I was replaced by, uh, Regis Philbin's daughter. See, so there you go. You just learned, you learned your lesson in nepotism. Right. You got to know a better guy. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently what happened was, and I heard about this after the fact was that she went on Regis live you know it was a big show the daughter went on and and addressed the camera and asked for saturday night live for a job and so you got trumped by privilege totally and and, so uh, i so i've never met her but i hate her yeah and she's out here now and she like works on new girl and Uh like you know i I mean everyone says oh but she's so nice she's great i'm like well fuck her you don't know what she did to me yeah i didn't have i didn't have a platform she set me back so then what happened was who are you writing a system for uh, uh, at SNL. Just, yeah, just but in the just room, the whole, all the writers. Whoa, so yeah, so it was McKay. Who were the other people? Uh, t- like Tim Hurley, yeah. Steve Lookner, uh, Higgins. Yeah, McKay was like the main guy. I looked up to him because he was his stuff was so different and awesome. Yeah, um, and he was already oh, Steve Corin, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, uh huh, Dave Mandel. A lot of those guys who made huge deals and then ruined Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> which deals? Well, like Mandel and Corin made like giant multi million dollar deals coming off of like Seinfeld's bad right. last seasons, right. and then <laughs> and then they ruined it for everyone else. Like all the writers who wanted to come <laughs> we, in afterwards, they're like, "We're not doing that yeah. again." We're out of money. I know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, we gave it to Dave Mandel. We tried that once. Right. No bungalows available. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it did get fucked up, didn't it? With it the did. expansion of uh, outlets and, and a few bad deals. Like right. It, well, it's the Friends guys and the Seinfeld guys at the end. Sure. Who came in and took all these giant and deals. And decided and that every writer deserved a garage full of Porsches. Right. Yeah. And then they didn't make shows that hit was yeah. the big thing. And so then everyone said, well, we're not making those deals anymore. All right. So you get pushed out by the Philbin girl. Philbin. And then I did stand up in New York for, and that's where I saw you. I mean, you know, you wouldn't remember me, but you were a king already at that time. So like 96? I would see, yeah, I would see you performing at different places. And, and Luna would, and stuff. Yeah. I feel I like I did. And, I feel like I did. See I would you just try and get to as many places as I could. I was doing all those open mics, you know, Gotham and, uh-huh. you know, all the things that you'd go during the day and there'd yeah. be a line yeah. you know, from like four o'clock in the afternoon. How was that for you? You know, I really liked it at the time. Um, 
and I, I, I knew always that I was not a great stand-up. Like, I have no energy or personality on stage. I feel like I'm a pretty good joke writer, but I don't... I, I have that thing where I'm, like, protecting myself, where... I'm the I, opposite. I'm I, the opposite thing. I'm the exact opposite. What, you, I'm you, an okay joke writer, but I have a lot of personality. You do. <laughs> you do. Well, and you're a great joke writer. You have a lot of great jokes. When they but, come. But uh, I was always doing that thing of, like... I'm too cool, so I'm not going to p- really put energy into but that's a this type. personality. It was, especially at that time, it was a type. That you was know, the was, beginning of the alt sort of like right. laid back. Well, especially with like Janine Garofalo was huge then, and it's like, let's look at your notebook yeah, every yeah, five yeah. seconds. And, yeah. Um, so I was doing it then. I was totally enjoying it. And there were guys like who were still at the shitty clubs then who are now huge, like Gaffigan, who right. I looked up to, yep. was awesome. and. And, uh, you know, like Dave Attell was coming on at that time Attell and he was, was big. A, he and was like, the monster joke like writer. Todd Berry Todd. Was, was there ignoring every guy and talking to every girl. Yeah. And hey, so, what's going on? Yeah. What's up, buddy? Hey. hey, buddy. Um, so it was, you know, it was a great time for standups. Um, but again, I felt like I got in kind of a little too late. Cause really? It, yeah. I mean, I, it just. And also, again, with the whole thing of like me not really putting a lot of energy. Well, it's a energy. tough racket. I mean, it like is. if you're just a stand-up, which is what I was, you know, like I, I never I never even thought about writing for yeah. somebody else. That's all I thought about. I could barely do it for myself. Like it was right. all life and death for me. It's right. like, you know, I'm just trying to do this thing for me. Right. And all the dudes that I know that I started with that, that got into writing, they they, to me, they were the smartest ones. Because they were like, all right, I got a knack for this. This stand-up thing is crazy yes. to hang your life on that shit. I agree. It does not end well for most of them. Yep. To have that foresight, I'm very impressed with. Like Chuck what? Sklar, John Groth, yes. uh, Billy Martin. I mean, all these dudes, that they became kind of huge writers for a while anyways. Totally. Were stand-ups. They yep. Were with me. Yes. Yeah, no, I know. there, And uh, it, it, it seemed like the only way to go for me. So when... Uh, I did stand up for three years and then they started up the late, late show with Craig Kilborn. Right. 1999. That was, that was early 99. The late, the Ferguson's now. Ferguson is now. So this was after the daily show. After his uh, stint on the daily show and they gave him the late, late show and they were taking submissions for that. Um, One of the guys who was a weekend update writer at SNL named Ross Abrash was a writer already hired on the late, late show before in pre-production. And he remembered you from your, he remembered me and a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine got hired first. And then my buddy said, Hey, take a look at my, who's that? His name's Wellesley wild. Yeah. And, uh, he said, take a look at my friend, Alex stuff too. And we both got hired like within a week of uh-huh. each other, moved out to LA at the same time. Are you guys partners? We are. Uh, we, we actually, we are for like movie stuff. We were for a while and then they let us split up at Family Guy for financial reasons. Like they let us split up. Right. So, but we've, we went to college together and- At so, Connecticut College? Yeah. So he's your, your pot buddy? He's my pot buddy. And you, and totally. you guys like made it out. We did. And he made it in first and he pulled you in. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I pulled him into SNL. What, where, did, what like, did he do there? He, he was an intern when I was a writer's assistant. Okay. So, like I said, hey, you got to get in on this racket. <laughs> well, I hope Regis doesn't have any more kids. I know, right? For God's sakes. <laughs> so, we you know we both definitely helped each other out. And uh, and I actually end up working with a bunch of people that I went to high school with and college with. And really? It's crazy. Out here? Yeah. It's just by coincidence. You know John Viner? Oh, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, of course you do. 
Yeah, he's. I went to high school with him. And he's a big deal now. And he is. Well, we write a family guy together. and uh, I definitely know that guy. I remember him from doing stand-up in New York. Well, I'm sure he puts you on the Mount Rushmore of, of comedy. Like but like someone do. told me, like he's like this massive guy. So he's a family guy guy. He is. And you went to high school with him. I did. And you, you weren't friends then. No, we were. We were good friends in high school. And we used to write irreverent things in the newspaper together. So, But you had no idea where he was at until you got out here? Or you? No, were... no, no. We did stand up. We got fired. I got fired from SNL and he got fired from his normal job on the same day. And we yeah. just said, in three weeks, we're going to start doing stand up. Let, let's write an act. Yeah, he's a nice guy, that guy. And uh, to give you a, a date, like a lot of our first jokes were about the 96 Olympics. So okay. that's, 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 when we, we, that's when we started. So you guys were writing together? Kind uh, of we, well, stuff? I think we, we didn't really write together but we we wrote separately and said three weeks from today we're not chickening out we're going up we went up at uh that place up by uh columbia that's downstairs the west end yeah the uh, west yeah, yeah 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 it was greer barnes used to run that show yeah right mm-hmm. was it uh, yeah i remember that and show. there was some idiot guy who ran it who like ran a comedy class and he was terrible oh, really oh, I terrible. Wonder, I wonder what it was uh i just remember instantly like first day of comedy like bonding together with my buddy and being like this guy's awful i remember that guy and that's weird now that someone brought him up all right so okay so you and wesley mm-hmm. are writing together yeah and you come out here for killborn shows your first time in los angeles right are you like uh what's your attitude like oh we're gonna take this town by force well i think we were just another it, jew it wasn't it wasn't quite we're gonna take this town by force but i think we were happy that we were coming out here with a job right which seems to be an uncommon no, thing that's the only way to do it right with a deal or with a job either way it's a gamble yes so you were aware that you you were lucky and that uh, yeah. you know, now you got to figure out what the lay of the land is. Totally. So yeah. then we start working at Kilbourne, and right away I bond with Kilbourne. Like he, I was the only other sports fan on staff, so we bonded over. What sports. happened to that guy? Oh my God, he made a huge mistake. He talk about making a gamble. He, I think he he got pissed when Conan got a huge deal. Yeah, and he wanted his deal to be bigger than it was, and CBS said no, and so he he walked off. He did a couple movies. He did. And now he's what, he just disappeared into anonymity? Well, I think that he's trying to develop a TV show. I, I, my girlfriend it works in TV and said that she had a meeting with him and that he's trying to develop a show. And Yeah. Yeah. What's he been doing? I don't know. Uh, he, it's a weird business, right? He was so nice to me. He's so like loathed, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, but he was. He I was think always... initially he was loathed because comics thought that was a comedian's job, right? And he's a, he's like a pretty boy sportscaster. Yeah, yeah. And the truth was, he was funny on the original Daily Show. Yeah. Like, and they had great writers and everything, and and. Uh, so maybe that was our failing, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, like <laughs> then you got to shit writers out there. Um, writers were too good. Yeah. Well, you never wanted to do the daily show that never came into a play for you. Or? Well, I mean, it's not, it was already after you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't have the, uh, the option to, I right, mean, right. like I didn't, I would have loved to do it, and, right. you know, but they didn't offer, I didn't apply. I think I applied like for letterman writing jobs a couple of times, but it, you know, it was when you're in your mid early mid 20s the shit you're writing it just wasn't but you're always a joke guy Uh, yeah i think so i think so yeah and so you write for a killborn until the end of him no i i got off before the ship uh sank i my writing partner and i wellesley uh decided we wanted to get into sitcoms and so we wrote a couple of spec scripts for what uh we what are the specs yeah we wrote a spec um 
everybody loves Raymond where like the Sopranos came, like where it was like turned out that Ray and Tony went to elementary school together. Was like that, that. Re- recommended to you? Or that well, you- we were, it was, it, it wasn't recommended, but at the time everyone's complaint about spec scripts were they were all the same. Everybody was reading the same, you know, scripts, whatever it was at the time. People who were trying to write actual episodes that would be on the show. Right. And everybody's like, I don't want to read another Frasier. I don't want to read another this or that. So, we wanted to write something that was attention getting. It was sort of the equivalent of the guy who writes his college application in crayon, yeah. you know? Yeah. So we did that and it worked. We got a job. It doesn't always work though. It doesn't things. always work. Yeah. But we got a job on this show called the pits yeah. that was for Fox that only aired five episodes. It was in 2002 maybe. Yeah. Um, but it was run by this guy, Mike Scully who ran the Simpsons and, uh, Seth MacFarlane was on the show because it was when uh, Family Guy was briefly canceled. So it's just this lucky timing that we met him on that show. He, We were the same age. He liked us. He said, oh boy, if Family Guy ever comes back, I'll hire you is guys. Is he a New England guy too? He is. Yeah. Yeah, he's from Connecticut. Um, he said, if the show ever comes back, I'll hire you. And so sure enough, it did. And, and it that's was, it. Yeah. That's how Huge. history is made. Now that thing is 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 an institution and people who love it, love it. Right. Like it, it's like, it's not the Simpsons, but it's, it's the, uh, it's, it's, I feel like there's a war between the two or something. Yeah. Well, I think that actually not anymore, but the, yes, there was. And, uh, but I think that now it's, it's interesting. We've so many of the, you're still there. Uh, I, well, no, actually I'm not. I, I, I w- went off for one year to work on another sitcom, but the, the family guy thing seems to be solid. Like, you, you yeah. know, as long as it's like the format is solid. So, you know, you can just run writers through it. Yeah. And just keep... No, it's actually in my contract with Fox that, that I have to go back to family guy. And so, you're not upset about no, that. No, it's fine. I mean, family guy is like a vacation. It's like there are 25 writers. So you just, you can basically buy a hammock and sit in the room all day and like, you just know, pitch jokes. Yeah. Or, or take a week off. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> and Seth still runs it? He doesn't. No, he's he's rarely there. He does all the voices still, but he is, you know, he's busy doing his other stuff, his movies and whatever. Well, well walk me through how that works, because I'm trying to sure. think if I've actually talked to Simpsons writers specifically about about how that works. So there's 25 guys. Yeah. And the thing just, it, it's a it, it's a money, it, it makes money. Yes. So they, so it's a machine. Right. And how does the machine work? Well, the machine works uh, like the the 25 writers, each one will go off separately and write an episode. Then it comes back into the room. Everybody- Put it up on the board? You put it up on the board. Then one guy goes off and writes writes it. it. Right. Then comes back to the room. Everybody rewrites it. So you break the story. We break the story. On the board. And then your guy comes back with a script and you put that up on a screen and just roll through it. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. And so, uh, and occasionally smaller rooms will break off to do the sort of jokes that Family Guy's kind of known for, those cutaway gags yeah. where it like just all of a sudden goes to, you know, somewhere else completely. Right. So, you know, a lot of the manpower is sort of like five people will be in another room and five people will be in a second room and then, you know, 10 people will be in the main room and then a couple people will be off writing a script and a couple people will be off writing their outline. And right. So it's just, it, it's like a conveyor belt. You right. Know, it keeps going. And it takes, uh, you know, like 16 months, I think, from the time that it's written till it airs, just right. with all the animation and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But how long does it take to from, from breaking the story to get a full script? 
Uh, from breaking the story to full script is you, the writer gets two weeks. So it's a, it's a dream gig. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. you could have one week and it could be done. But, and what's the sitcom? Uh, it's a show called Dads, which oh, yeah, is yeah, universally yeah. reviled. Why? Uh, it, people just are not into it. Is it your idea? It was. It was mine and Wellesley's idea. It was just to write about our dads. And does it hurt? You know, it didn't. It doesn't hurt because we wanted, you know, we wanted. It, it wasn't great that everyone hated it. Well, but, but you were excited about this idea. You wrote this with the guy that you wrote. Did you write the movie Ted with him yeah, as well? Yes. It was a tough sell, the guy in a bear. Well, it was tough, except it was Seth was selling it, so right. it was easier. So, but yeah, so basically when we made a deal with Fox, you make a three-year deal, and it's called a development deal. You hear that term all the time. So as part of a development deal, we have to develop something for them. So come the third year, of course, we put it off. Forever. So you one of the you were one of those writers that ruined the business for everybody. Kind yeah. of, except our development deal didn't have the zeros yeah, that right. the other people had. Right. So we uh in the third year we put it off and we said, Okay, what should we do? And it was kind of like a last minute homework assignment. We're like, All right, well let's do it about our dads. And then the thing just got fast tracked because it was after Ted. You know, we were Seth's How'd guys. How'd you come up with the teddy bear idea? What that was, was Seth's idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was he totally pitched out the story. And he pitched out the story, it. and we just wrote it. Uh-huh. Um, so we came up with this idea about our dads and moving back in with us, and and Fox was like, "Oh, we love it. You know, go, you know, go do it, do it." So we did it. We did. Thank the po- God, though, because like you know, you don't want to be one of those people that's sitting on a deal and then like you, you get nothing. I know. And they got behind it, right? And they they got- like the show. No, they hate it. <laughs> <laughs> they hate it. The studio, you know, what? it took me forever to learn the difference between the network and the studio. Sure. But the studio loves it because they're the ones who might make money off of it. Who's it's the studio? 20th. Okay. And the network, 20th, yeah. hates it. Um, so they put it put it out. Then there was a lot of furor over the pilot that it was racist. Yeah. You know, they said the pilot is racist. There Why? was a joke about... We put a hot Asian girl in like in like hot Asian schoolgirl clothing, and everybody found that very offensive. All of a sudden, why? You know, just that idiot guy Aoki who runs that uh, you know Asian defamation league. It's yeah. like it keeps him in business to get mad about stuff. So then he got mad about this, and then everyone. It's so hard when somebody comes out and says something is racist to be on the other side of that and say no, it isn't. Well, you've been. It's 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 a delicate conversation no matter what because you how do you determine on some level what is a a a cultural meme yeah you know that 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 is established though though it may be racist it is not of your making right and <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're being racist i mean there i mean i guess you could call it sexist too you know, it was way more sexist than racist and nobody <laughs> said anything about that it was way more sexist than racist but, because she was super hot yeah and like so it looked so Good. This, this was the pilot that the they, pilot. they let you put on television. They, so, no, yeah. so you didn't see it. The network right. and the studio did not see it. No. And then this and, guy saw it. Yeah. This guy saw it. And then everybody started complaining, oh, it's racist. It's, you know. And uh, and so then when we went to the, you know, those sort of meetings where you meet the press and they talk about your show. That was all, all any, anyone wanted to talk about. And uh, how'd you answer to it? Well, I mean, we just said you know, listen, we're sorry if you think it's racist. We think that the problem is that it's probably just not funny enough. You know, we think that if it was, it was, it was funnier, like nobody would really care. Um, and so then we just kind of, that sort of 
put uh, a nail in our tire right. at the beginning of the season, and it just slowly let air out the whole rest of the way. Are you happy with any of the shows? I am. Yeah, some of them were definitely funny, and the cast are funny. You know, they they did a great job. Um, I'm just to the point where I feel like, listen, we tried to do that. Maybe we'll get them the next time. Um, and then you just go back to Family Guy. Go back to Family Guy and, uh, you know. But that doesn't sound necessarily satisfying. Satisfying creatively? Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, you get to be funny. You know, anywhere you get to be funny is satisfying. So you get to tell jokes at Family Guy. But what would you want to do? What's the big... Uh... Well, uh, what I want to do is retire yeah, and never have to work again. It's sort of the same way. I know. But I, I don't... You know, but like when you... See, that you're, you're in a different racket in the sense that like, look, if you... You know, if you create a show, right, and you're on it a couple of years, after a certain point, you're like, well, let it go live by itself, yeah. and I'll just sit Goodbye. at home and make money while I'm sweeping. Right, that's what I want. <laughs> or you know, or just to, you know, we're writing a sequel to Ted. We're we're working on another movie after after that, and I want those to do well. Maybe I can make money off of those and yeah. say, see you later. Yeah, but that's a big goal, just to be able to sit and. Yeah, I I, I bought. Uh, a couple of years ago, I bought a house on Cape Cod, uh, and all I what wanted town? Uh, in a little village called Katomet. It's in between Bourne and Falmouth. So it's way on the southern or, or Falmouth. Yeah, to... it's on the southern. It's like in the armpit of the yeah. Cape. It's like right as you go over the. Bourne I used to do, Bridge. when I started doing comedy. I did gigs all down the Cape. I love it there. Johnny Yee's in Yarmouth. Nice. I don't know that place. It's a huge uh, Chinese restaurant with a Polynesian dance show. Love it. Yeah, there was uh, Dennis was a nice town, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. uh, I remember Falmouth and where there was a uh, yeah. I mean, I Orleans, spent yeah, Hyannis, Hyannis, yeah. Hyannisport gets a little dicey in the middle in the summer. It's a yeah. little bit much. In we're in Yarmouth, I think, where it's just like people walking on the highway all day long to the beaches and yeah, 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 yeah. It's really crowded. You go get a, a lobster roll or a clam roll. Love it, love it. So uh, I'm, I'm actually going back tonight. Really? Yeah. Um, for how long? For the the week this week, just the work week. So you just do that? I whenever I can. Yeah, and I could. It where do you this fly week. into? Boston. And then what? You rent a car? Uh, or you have a car at the house? There's a. I do have a car there at the house, but I have like this. Car, the green shuttle they're uh -huh. called pick me up at the airport oh okay yeah. all right so now i think you're probably one of uh huh, six or seven of uh sarah silverman's exes yeah sat across from <laughs> right join the club right <laughs> how long were you with her uh, uh like about a, a little more than a year yeah maybe yeah, yeah. Was that fun? It was. It was yeah. totally fun. Yeah. She was totally nice. And, and you, you know, ruined it. I did. I wrecked it. <laughs> no, we just realized we were both two angry Jews as well. It just, you oh. know. And she likes to keep hers under wraps. I, I know. You, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, you know, I really brought it out in her. <laughs> she couldn't hide it anymore. You found it. Yeah, I found it. Your reward is we're done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it was... Um, it was definitely like at a certain point we were just two like angry pot smoking Jews who you yeah. know angry at each other couldn't quite agree on yeah. a life course. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, it's fucking beautiful. Yeah, that sounds like a really romantic bit of business. There. <laughs> it was. And now, so you're after everything arcs out, you're successful, right? And your dad, you know, comes and stays for a week, right? And you're okay with him. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. So you, you in, you're okay with your relationship, yeah. And uh, so, how do you how do you handle the uh, the anger on a day to day basis? Do you have any tools that I can glean? 
Um, well, I mean, there's always prescription medication. Okay. That seems to help. It does? Which one? Um, well, you know, they're, they're different things. Okay. They're, there's, uh, you know, Vicodin is sort uh, of a no, fun one. I can't one. do that. I yeah. can't, like, cause I'm a, like, I'm a recovery guy, so I, I can't do anything that will, you know, you know, ride the line of recreational. Okay. Well then you're, you're yeah, out. I'm fucked. You're out. I'm fucked. You're angry. Yeah. I, I can't do anything. Well, do you smoke pot? No, not anymore. Okay. So you, you still got all those things. No, well, actually I, I stopped smoking pot like almost a year ago. How did that change things? Um, were you like daily? I started drinking more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I noticed that. <laughs> if that did change that. Why'd you oh, stop? I was a daily pot smoker. Yeah, yeah, Wait, yeah. But so Multiple. like, why'd you stop? Did you start to get detached? Well, actually I stopped because um, my girlfriend and I were talking about like having kids. You want pot balls? Right. And like, I, and, and like, you know, you read differing things. Is it damaging? Is it not? But I mean, try convincing your girlfriend that. Doesn't matter what yeah, the things yeah, are. Yeah. If, even if there's a possibility right. of it being damaging. So I, I described uh, my sperm at that time as like Spicoli and his buddies pouring out of the van again, you know, <laughs> at, at, in the parking lot at fast times. <laughs> like, that's kind of the, 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 tumbling the speed out. with which it was all coming out. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the reason to. He's still trying to have a kid? Uh yeah yeah we're I mean we just kind of started oh trying, yeah yeah oh, that's exciting yeah you think that'll do it <laughs> that ought to solve everything right <laughs> I have a new thing to be angry about <laughs> oh you can be your dad yeah. right? tell me when the kid's ten yeah exactly I'll be back oh my god yeah, so no. the, how did the 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 Twitter thing blow up because you're one of those people they call a you know a Twitter star. Well, uh, and that means nothing anymore, but yes. It, back in the day, Back though. in the day, yeah, huh? three years ago, <laughs> that meant something. Um, well, I think that it started just because, like, at the beginning, just the right number of, like, sort of famous people noticed me or started following me on Twitter and, like, retweeting me or recommending right. me. So, actually, it was a funny thing, like, uh, one of the writers on Family Guy is this guy named Gary Gennetti. He's hilarious. And he's gay. And his partner is this guy, Brad Goreski, who was on a Bravo TV show. Like he was just right. a, a personality on a Bravo TV show. So he had a bunch of followers. And he started following me and retweeting me. And so then I got a bunch of his followers. And then somehow I got on the Twitter recommends page at the beginning at the beginning right uh and then 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 that's just that, a, that's where you built yeah. so you don't even know how many people are really even on twitter that right there from the beginning You're right but you were one of those guys you only do jokes pretty much yeah yeah that yeah i don't i don't do like hey come see me at this or or hey, hey i'm you know, i'm manic or why is my foot like that and right, right whatever right. i i mean I, yeah, I it's these, mostly jokes yeah. yeah 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 now i and, and you got into a little trouble with some timing on some joke. And yeah. I think it's interesting too, even in relation to the schoolgirl shtick with the Asian girl. Right. Is that, you know, in, in a culture where, you know, we're our own big brother and where, you know, access and, and immediacy is, is it can all happen very quickly. Right. You, you can be out of a life in a day or two. Yes. Depending on how the traction is handled of any particular thing. Absolutely. What, where do you, when you made the joke about, uh, what was it about the earthquake? The tsunami in the tsunami. Japan. Yeah. Like, you know, we're guys that are sitting at home, yeah. you know, barely listening to the news. Yes, and exactly you, right. <laughs> like, what can I, what can yeah, I. What's the angle? Yeah. And then you can't help yourself. Right. But, but they, I, I think that in some, in some cases, it seems most of the time, 
when when you get flack for this right that it really comes down to it's usually not even in in it's not even racist or necessarily sexist it, it's insensitive yes and i guess that that is close to ignorance mm-hmm. but but I, you know, most of the guys i know that get into hot water about this it's, you know they're not they're just comics which you know their their moral code is certainly different Right than others because you know we're, we're we're there looking for the juice and we come by our ignorance honestly. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean we're 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 not genuinely trying to hurt anybody. No, there there may be ignorance involved in terms of the cultural lexicon that's acceptable at any given moment. Right, but but usually it's just insensitive. Yes, and you're sort of like ah oh, fuck. Right and now, you know, what, I guess you can't use rape at all anymore. I know, I know <laughs> that that word is you out. Can't say retard at all. No, no more retard. I know. Uh, and I talk about that on stage. I did recently, which I was surprised because I, 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 I try not to do it at all as even, even a joke anymore. But there is some, at some point, I guess you have to honor the evolution of the language. Well, it, I guess. And, you know, the, it's funny that with the thing with uh, the, the tweet about the after the tsunami, yeah. like that was a thing where when I wrote it uh, and when I was thinking of it, 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 the thing had just happened and like the death toll was very low yeah and so it wasn't yet this like crazy thing that was like thousands and thousands of people i think i probably would have thought about and it you're thinking like i can get the jump on the yes joke. exactly yeah. and it was right. coming off of the oscars where i just had such a good time like making jokes about things instantly and like doesn't that person look you like you wrote for seth and the oscar oh no well i did but i'm talking about the oscars before just at home tweeting oh yeah you know yeah. like oh, just right, having right. like right. a lot of success tweeting about something as it sure, happens sure. you know Live so, tweeting right so that you know then it became this huge thing like you know and and again with the more when people are more people are dying i'm at home going like oh god stop dying you're like get <laughs> you're out of there the joke. Get, i know <laughs> yeah get away from the water what's the yeah, matter yeah. with you <laughs> jesus this joke is getting unfunny with every death I, I more is, is you're killing my joke it every was time terrible you- but the uh, so I I get why people were enraged about that because I mean as, as, when a certain number of people die like you can't make a joke about it instantly like maybe in ten years it'd be okay but um, the, with the thing with rape and retarded like that still bothers me a little bit like I you know I I'm sensitive to you know people who have been raped or people that are retarded or have you know family relatives or friends who are retarded i think it's i'm not even sure what is mentally challenged mentally challenged you can't say retarded anymore you can't say the word that's right i thought you just couldn't say it in a joke or no no it's it's no longer the word that's not the word i asked an audience once you know what is the word and someone said intellectually challenged and i thought that's a little broad i know right who among us is not (laughs) those things kind of pissed me off a little bit because i just feel like that's again just a a product of a, a total reactionary society that would say like yes of course you can't say that like i i don't know why but you can't well the the uh, the conversations i've had about it where like i tried to tell this story on stage once and you know like um i think the, the moment that i realized how how difficult it is is that like i used to think like like i i understand the argument about the word retard you know retard yeah and, and retarded yeah. and okay fine but like i always was um like sort of enamored with people who were retarded and that they had sort of a purity of spirit. Sure. And I was at bumper shoot and I was, you know, I just talked about the word retard on stage and, and saying that I want the word back. I would never call a retarded person a retard. I'd, you call someone who's acting like a yeah. retard a retard. Sure. You know, it's a different. Yes. 
But that was my argument. But that that was dicey. And then I go to this concert. It was like Stone Temple Pilots or something. There was some guy behind me. I just heard the, the cadence like, ah, Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, like, right. And, you know, and it was like, this is too, and I turn around and there's this, you know, mentally challenged guy who's not, obviously not, he's he's not bad enough to not enjoy the concert or know where he's at. But he's there like doing, you know, his, oh, that's so good. And behind him is clearly his father with just like a, a, a sort of lifelong sort of, grimace of, of of pain yeah of of having this this the you know to yeah i'm sure he loves the kid and everything right. else but it was at that moment i realized that's who that word's gonna hurt right yeah <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah yeah but that's I, true yeah, I, yeah. I, and that's really what it comes down to right right yeah i mean racism's a, 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 similar but it's broader but right. like with retarded you know i, I kind of get it but god yeah we just grew up with retard. I know. Retard was just always the thing. You're like, stop acting like a retard. Yeah, you know? exactly. And and somewhere, you know, it's usually the people, I think that not unlike fag, yeah. that like, you know, people who are mentally challenged have gotten retard. Yeah. You know, and then like, and I think that people in their families, you know, it hurts them for that, their kid or whatever. Yep. So what well, do we John do? Lennon used to act retarded on stage. He did. That was like one of his big things. Like he would just always do that. He would go to like a weird sort of like, yeah, you know, tongue and mouth and like stamping his feet thing. He he did that all the time. Why? Like it just he, it was funny then, right? <laughs> like it was fine to do then. <laughs> I guess I guess times change, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Are you concerned that we'll get to a point where, you know, the parameters of what we're sort of culturally allowed to do will be so refined that there'd be no edge to any of it well i don't know because i feel like there wasn't there a time like in the 90s when all that was happening aggressively and then i feel like it kind of abated like well, I, it, I it didn't like... just abate i think people fought for it i think there was a a, a a part of the you know usually identified with the right-wing culture that that the war against political correctness you know, sort of yielded what it yielded, but there were also comics who were not necessarily right wing. They were just filthy, right? You know, and they were like, you know, we we want the freedom to say whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, you know, Howard Stern and, and people like that. Sure, and it, you know the the dice the dice disciples and those kind of people, mm -hmm. and even Kennison to some degree, were like, you know, if you you can't close a door on the darkness, yes, someone's got to be in there. Absolutely, and well, I, I think, agree with that. And I think that, I mean, listen, with the way everything's so spread out now, like just including television and 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 social media like there there are always going to be areas uh for all this stuff right. so i think that so just it's go, not going to go away well yeah and also it's like just go to the where you want to go right you, you right know, and that doesn't mean go to a neo-nazi like hate site it's no, just but, like there's some you well, know, if you're going to do that yeah. so i'm not going to hang out with you and right it's disturbing right but but you can yes <laughs> And I mean, I think there are just places where, you know, where, where comics can say fag and like, you know, and, and, and that used to be a word also that didn't denote homosexual too. It's like, right. You'd say like, just stop being a retard, like stop being a fag, you yeah. know, like yeah. it's, it's. Yeah. And for us, it, it doesn't mean that, but to, right. to, to, to a gay person, they're like, well, what do you, I guess the pushback is, is valid in the sense that when it becomes a, you know, ethnic or, or, or gender identification things, because I, I've gotten in trouble for the word tranny. I'm like, really tranny? I, th I didn't think that was loaded. I thought that was a technical term. No, it, it's not. It's it's derogatory to what transgender is, what? and transvestites. Okay. They're, they're they're you know tranny is like their fag. Oh, yeah, interesting. So they're <laughs> they're getting there too. Everybody's getting on the boat. Well, well, yeah, but there's pushback in needs. The need for the pushback is so that group can can identify itself 
with 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 pride. Got it. That's Good for all. them. I want right. everyone to have pride, but I, I just too. want everyone to be able to laugh too at themselves included. I mean, yeah. like, do you think I, I don't get mad when people call me a kike? I don't hear a kike much, but yeah, but, no. but but as a kike, right? You, you, you can you know when the tone is like right. I know when someone when someone sort of says something that you know is not in the tone where you know right you fucking Jew yeah okay you just said fucking Jew but when somebody who is clearly not a Jew and is not your friend yeah you know says well you know he kind of Jewed me down you're like nah, I don't know yeah I don't, I don't know, know if I like that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but we're different exactly we're running things we're the ones with the microphones that's so. right yeah all right it's good talking to you man you too awesome thank you. All right, folks, that's our show. I enjoyed that very much. I like Alex Holkin. I like the guy. I like him. He's all right, that guy. You can go to WTFPod.com and check the uh, the calendar. Why don't I do that right now? Uh, okay, yeah, I'm going to be in Red Rocks on September 7th doing the Oddball Festival. Just me and Bono, man. September 12th, I'll be at the Shoreline Amphitheater. Uh, in Mountain View, California. Red Rocks is in Denver. September 13th, I'll be at the Irvine, California uh, Verizon Amphitheater with Oddball. September 19th, I'll be at the Gexa or Jexa Energy Pavilion in Dallas. September 20th, Cynthia... Oh, my God. Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion in Houston, Texas. September 21, I'll be at uh, the Austin 360 Amphitheater in Austin. November 7th, I'll be at the New York Comedy Festival in New York. Might want to get tickets to that. Selling out. November 8th, I'll be doing Comics Come Home in Boston, Massachusetts. All this is at WTFPod.com. Ooh, Thursday, Ty Siegel. I got an advanced copy of his new record, Manipulator. He's probably made nine records since then. Guy's prolific, but this is the fucking record, man. This is this is where he needed to be going, man. I mean, it's weird when you hear like nine or ten records by a kid. And, you know, the sound just evolves, and now the production has caught up with him, and it's fucking great. Double record. Ty Siegel will be here Thursday playing great. It's a fucking, just a kid, this kid. Love him, though. Look forward to that. I can see it. I can see over the chasm. Because it's right there. It's like it's not... I have a canyon, for Christ's sake. What would you call it? A ravine? Is it a crack? Maybe it's just a crack. Boomer lives! <laughs>